0: Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. I'm going to pray. Because we're going to talk about something heavy today, as we've been talking about over actually the last few weeks. We had a series before this series, and it was heavy and we left wrestling with some things and we dove into this series if you're visiting with us we're, we're talking about mental health and emotional health and what that looks like and how do we handle that and it's heavy we recognize that okay but let me give you some hope here today this is gonna be a heavy one like you're probably not gonna walk out of here skipping and and clapping okay but here, here, here's the good news like we win at the end okay it's all gonna be okay And that's what we're really going to celebrate heavily next week. So we really want you to come back. But we do win. The book has been written. We do win. But today uh, is not going to be one of those celebratory days. So I need to pray. So let's bow our heads. Okay, God. um, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you every hour I need you. I need you right here in this hour. As we look to your word, as we dive into uh, the subject, as we, do, as we evaluate ourselves, show up in this place, open our eyes, and we, we can see you just like Job saw you it 's your name, I pray amen. okay, so here we are in the middle of this mental health and emotional health by way of I just want to review some things, but prior to review, I just want to let you know a little bit a little bit inside of my brain here. I, As we were diving into this series, because Daniel's like, hey, you have November, you pick what we do, okay, and here's where I landed. So I did a lot of reading. I'm just going to give you some of the books that I've read. They're not, some of them are secular, some of them are not. I'm not saying I recommend these books, I'm just telling you some of the study that I did. There was a book out there called A Boy Who Was Raised as a Dog that just... Uh, as we looked into, uh, I was reading on childhood trauma and the things that happened to us as kids that we don't ever really escape. I read a book by Dr. Larry Crab called Inside Out, which I'll reference today. I read a book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, by Cesaro. That was a, a good book that I uh, continue to reference. And I read a book actually prior to this a while back called How We Love. It's a husband and wife. I wrote it, and I thought it was a marriage book. I'm like, man, I'm going to read this. I'm going to be the best husband ever to live. And then I realized, man, they like, no, they got me diving deep into my past and exploring how I was raised and all this stuff. And it was like, this was not as fun as I thought it was going to be. But it's a phenomenal book that I read that rocked my world. On top of reading, I spoke to a few people who were experts sort of in this field. One was Dr. Cox, who spoke to us. Couple of weeks ago, if you haven't listened to that podcast, I highly recommend it. Another, there are two other doctors actually that live in Iowa and they work and they started a, a, a counseling center in Iowa through the church, uh, Cornerstone Church in Iowa. They become great friends of, of ours. And I guess what I learned even in studying and reading all this is four weeks isn't even like we can barely scratch the surface on this in a four week series and we can't talk about everything. Like we're not going to dive into things like schizophrenia or, or bipolar, right, or obsessive-compulsive, like, we, don't, we can't just dive into those. We, I would definitely, Daniel and I both would do those a great injustice, but we can take big-picture looks at it, and that's kind of what we're doing. And one of the things that I hope has happened throughout this series is that we have decompartmentalized, I guess, if that's even a word, meaning we can't cut our lives up and say, well, here's the spiritual part of my life. Well, here's the physical part of my life. Here's the emotional part of my life and separate those out. That's not how it works. We look at the whole person and the whole person fell in the garden. It wasn't just a spiritual fall when sin entered the world in the garden. Our mental capacity was broken in the garden. Our emotional capacity was broken in the garden. Our physical was broken in the garden and our spiritual was broken in the garden, we need to recognize that and quit trying to separate them. They all affect one another. If you remember what Dr. Cox talked about when he was specifically talking about depression, anxiety, so there's, it's not something you can just turn off and turn on. And I'm just gonna give, be, be transparent with you here in this moment and kinda give you another reason that we are in this series. As Daniel said, hey, hey, pick this, and I prayed about it and I tried to do other things, and, and God was kind of shutting the doors on those things, and I think one of the reasons that he did, and a big reason that we are in this series, is because personally, me, that I have recently been struggling, and in a season of struggling with anxiety and depression. Now, I'm going to confess something to you all this morning. This is, this is very transparent. And I get it, and if you're uncomfortable, you just have to kind of deal with it, okay? It's kind of how we roll here at Hill City. Um, here's where I, I used to take anxiety and depression, and the look I would give it would be this sort of proverbial eye roll. Get over it. Like we all have our problems, right? And that's, that, that was a wrong look. That was a wrong approach to this. And... Now that I've experienced this, man, I look at it a lot differently. So just give you, and I'll tell you all you want to know. For time's sake, I'm not gonna just dive into everything, but it's not because I'm scared to tell you. If you want to hear more, just come ask me. But I am gonna share this with you. So there are days, right, where like, I will wake up or, or maybe in the middle of the day and it'll just come to me and it's like, you know, I just think, that Jenny, that's my wife Jenny, I think she would. if I would just disappear, she would be way better off. Now, I'm not talking about disappear from the earth. I'm not talking about suicide. I've never struggled with that. But if it, just the thought of she would be better off without me. And then there are days where I'm like, my kids, I'm going to screw these kids up. <laughs> and I just think they're going to be better if I would disappear and just let Jenny be awesome and do her thing, right? And then there are even days where I'm like, this church, Hill City Church would be, if I would just disappear, this church would be better. Okay, now that's just a real look in here. Okay, now I'm not telling you that for, uh, like, and I'm being, I don't, I don't need anybody coming. come up, hey, you're awesome, you're a great, you're, I don't, okay, I'm, here's why I'm telling, this is why I'm sharing that with you, okay? Because I want you to know that whatever it is you're in, if it's anxiety, if it's depression, whatever it might be, I think for the first time in in my 40 years that I can actually step back and feel empathy like I've never really felt before. Like no more eye rolls from this guy. Because it is real. And it's painful. Now, As we look at this, specifically anxiety and depression, we've got to talk and have some hard talks. One of them is this. There are reasons for it. I'm going to give you some of those reasons. These reasons are not prescriptive necessarily. They are just possibilities. And the first one I'm going to mention isn't going to sit well with any of us, but it's a possibility. It could be that you struggle With anxiety and depression because of sin, personal sin in your life. That is a possibility. I know this is a possibility because I go to the Bible and I look at David, King David. Ever heard of the guy? Yeah. He struggled with anxiety and depression. And in, in the 32nd Psalm, here's what he says about himself. He's in another one of those states, right? And he says, there is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. And he admits this is what's going on. And then later he confesses those sins. He goes to God with that sin and confesses it. And healing can happen. You can read for yourselves. So it could be that anxiety and depression is being experienced... Because of personal sin. Now, there's another reason I believe David struggled with this. Because all of his psalms and his lament where his soul clings to the dust, they they don't really say that it's because of his sin. And that's not why it was. I think one of the reasons he suffered was his family origin. Here's what I mean by that. David's dad did not think highly of him. We know this, because the prophet goes to Jesse. He's like, one of your sons, he tells Jesse, one of your sons is going to be the king. Let's line them up. i got to figure this out. Jesse lines up his sons, and Jesse, and, and the prophet like, goes down the line. Nope, 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 no, no. He's like, is this all your sons? Which is kind of a weird question. He's like, is this all of your sons? You sure you don't have another son? And Jesse's answer was... Literally translated, well, I've got a worthless one out in the field. Like that's what David's dad thought of him. And that definitely affected him later in life. So it could be that what what you are experiencing has to do with family origin. You can read of that account in 1 Samuel chapter 16. It could be that anxiety or depression has to do with suffering. We know this from a guy in the Bible named Job. anybody ever heard Job? Nobody. A couple shakes. Okay. The light's bright. I can't see. Okay. Kanye thought Job was a job until he met Jesus. So, right? See, that's what he said. That's what he said. So, Job, Job experienced this because of suffering. Some men in the Bible experience depression and anxiety not because of their sin, not because of their disobedience to God. They experience it because of their obedience to God. Jeremiah, Elijah. So there are reasons. And then sometimes we don't know the reason Outside of maybe as we looked at the blind man, just so that the works of God could be revealed. Now, well, Here's what we do know when we are talking about anxiety and depression. If you remember, Dr. Cox talked about a reductionist theology. So we have a couple camps. When it comes to this anxiety, when it comes to this depression, there, there are two prominent camps that we can definitely recognize. One of them is this camp, not enough faith. Right? If you are struggling with this, it's because you don't have enough faith, you don't read your Bible enough, you don't pray enough. Come on. But then over here we have this camp that's like, well actually it's simply a chemical issue. And see what happens in this camp over here is what we call spiritual shaming. So this is more the camp that I would be familiar with, what I was maybe even raised with. So then there are times as I'm thinking through it and struggling with some of my own issues, I'm just going to be transparent with you, there are times that I, can, I have stepped back and wondered, have I even passed from death to life? And, I, and if you're thinking like, man, you're a pastor, like that crosses your mind, it does. And if I don't have a job by the end of the week, I'll go drive a UPS truck but that's just the reality. So you have spiritual shaming over here. But then over here in this camp, they don't, it's not that there's spiritual shaming, but there's just a total lack of responsibility. Obviously, I'm not responsible for anything because it's simply this chemical issue. And then in this camp over here, is a camp that would tend to maximize the blame, while this camp over here would tend to minimize the blame. And I think with confidence I can tell you that neither camp is correct. So as we dive into this today, I want to start with this. Hill City Church. If you've been here very long, you know this, but, but we do have some visitors it is okay to hurt. And it is okay to desire. So not out loud right now, I just want you to tell yourself that right to tell yourself that. I want you to tell you that right now. It's okay to hurt, and it's okay to desire. It's okay to not be OK. And it's okay to desire to not hurt, specifically. Uh, Jesus did this. Let's take you to the scene in the garden before he was about ready to be butchered. And he says, Dad, is, is there another way? I do not want to do this this way. Can you find another way? So it's okay to hurt. It's okay to desire. And the reality is we all desire to not hurt. And the reason we desire to not hurt is because of the garden That is where we were most human. That is where there was no hurt. And we all, at the deepest core of ourselves, we desire to be back in the garden where we were most human. We desire it. We we hurt when we don't have it. And if you're suffering this morning, I don't know, I'm not saying it has to be from depression or anxiety, but that's what we're kind of talking about today. If you're suffering, if you're struggling, if you experience that, it's okay to desire to no longer experience that. Lament is necessary. Hurt and desire are good. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give you more of a Bible word, a Bible look at what I mean when I say desire. And that word is this, thirst. Thirst. Dr. Kotz showed us a slide. And he talked about our longings. Another word for longings would be thirst. And, and we have these longings. We have these casual longings, these things that we would like, these casual thirsts. Yeah, we would like to have those casual thirsts quench. Like a casual, a casual thirst might be, I just need to rest and go on a vacation. I long to do that. I thirst for that. It's okay. And we have these critical thirsts. And then we have a crucial thirst. The the critical thirsts are these things like, man, I long to be loved. I long to have a a healthy relationship with a husband, a wife. Those are critical thirsts. Then we have a crucial thirst. And here's what we know about the crucial thirsts. It's the only one that God promised us. He only promised us that. And that is... Himself and our way back to the garden. Now here's the reality. It's very uncomfortable to not have our casual thirst quenched. It's very uncomfortable. And it goes from discomfort to pain. It's very painful to not have our critical thirst quenched. Let's recognize that. Here's my warning, Hill City Church. When the number one goal of your life is to relieve the pain, specifically the pain around unquenched critical thirsts, unquenched casual thirst, when the number one goal of your life is to relieve that pain, when the number one goal of your life is to be comfortable, when the number one goal of your life is to never experience pain, you are on a wrong path. I'm not saying that can't be some goals. I'm not saying you can't desire that. I'm saying when that becomes the priority, you are on the wrong path. We are thirsty people. So just do this with me now. Try to loosen it up a little bit. Just look to your neighbor and say, I'm thirsty. See, that was weak. That was, more of about a, that was more of a 9 o'clock effort. I'm looking for the 1045 effort. Look to your neighbor and tell them I'm thirsty. Okay, you just admitted it. You said I'm thirsty. That's a reality. That's not up for discussion. You're thirsty. Look what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah chapter 2, here's what he says. We're going to piece this together. Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 13 for my people have committed two evils. I'm guessing 99% of you in here are God's people. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. Look what he says, the fountain of living waters. You just said you were thirsty. We are thirsty people. And here's what they here's what they did in their forsaking Of the fountain of living waters, they hewed out cisterns for themselves. In other words, they dug their own wells, broken wells that hold no water. A few thousand years later, here comes Jesus in John chapter 7, verse 37. And here's what it says on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone Thirst. Now, here's the thing. Everyone under the sound of Jesus' voice, everyone who ever reads that scripture, that is prescriptive. They were thirsty. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Yet guilty of trying to dig my own well. Hill City Church, here's what is at the heart of those of us who attempt to dig our own wells. Two words, a lot of note takers in the room, write these down. Demandingness and or despair. Now here's what I mean by that. I'm not giving you literal definitions of the words. I'm just telling you what I mean for today. When I say demandingness, it's this. God, you must do what I desire to be done. And not just that. You must do it the way that I think it should be done. That's demanding. Despair would be this. God, you can't do. What it is that I desire. Did you catch that? Demandiness is God you must do, despair is God you can't do. See, in my thirst, in my lament, in my pain, And my anxiety and my depression, listen, I want to cry out to God and I should cry out to God and you should too. And I want him to hear me and I know that he does hear me and I know that he hears you. And I want him to make the pain go away and he may make it go away, he may not make it go away. And I want you to hear this this morning, God loves it when you cry out to him. He's okay with your hurt and he's okay with your desire and he wants you to cry out to him. But listen, it's a very slippery slope when that, desire, when, when that crying out slips in and goes from a thirst and asking God to quench this thirst and that slips into this spirit of demandingness or despair. See, when I demand or when I despair, I've lost sight of the goodness of God, or I've lost sight of the sufficiency of God. And here's the reality. He'll say we have to admit this to ourselves this morning. Demandingness and or despair can develop in us. And here is even probably a sadder part. The the potential for this to grow in us, the potential for demandingness and despair to grow in us It actually grows the longer that we are in pain. So let's go to God's word for this because there's an example that happens in Scripture. I know it took us a while, but get your Bibles out. Go to the book of Job. I want you to check this out. We see an example of this. We have a great example of this. If you if you know the story of Job, he was like a super rich guy, one of the richest guys on the planet. You can see early in chapter 1 tells you everything that he has. We're not going to read that. Okay? We're going to pick it up in verse 13. It says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them, and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people and they are dead and I alone have escaped to tell you now I'm not in any way trying to minimize any of your pain but how was your day? now let's just pretend let's just pretend for a minute that none of the animals died And none of the servants. And it was just his kids. Would Job have a reason to be depressed? Would Job have a reason to have some anxiety? And and, and listen, this is a real person. This isn't a make-believe story. This is a real person in history. This is recorded. This is real pain. This happened. And it's kind of crazy because like Job's immediate response was very impressive. So chapter one is wealth gone. His kids gone. And it doesn't stop there. You go to chapter two. And his health gone. He even says in chapter 2, check this out. His wife comes to him. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? She says, Job, curse God and die. That's what his wife tells him. Now before we're 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 all hard on his wife because that's kind of how I kind of remember this growing up. It's like this silly little woman came and told Job to do this and he stood up and was like, listen to me, she lost all of her kids too. Let's not forget that. She was suffering big time. She had lost everything too. You go on to chapter 3. Job actually starts lamenting his own birth. I wish I would have never been born. And you go on to the next chapter. And then Job's friends, they show up to support him. It actually worked out pretty good for Job in the first seven days but then after seven days they were just there supporting Job then they started talking and that's when things went south really quickly and they start telling Job like man you don't deserve this like what's going on you got sin in your life something like we can fix this Job what is going what is going on here you need to do this you need to do this you need to do this and the overarching theme from Job's friends kind of became hey you need to talk to God he must make this right you just got to go talk to him And not just talk to him. you got to go talk to him. Tell him you're right. See, we're encouraging Job to develop a demanding spirit. And on the front end, Job resisted it. He knew that wasn't right. So he resisted it. And then his kids came back to life and all of his animals came back to life and his houses were shut up and Job lived happily ever after because he resisted what his friends told him to do about being demanding. Is that how the story goes? No. You see, Job resisted it. He knew he shouldn't do it. But here was what happened. Are you ready? The pain continued. The pain continued. Didn't go away. We keep reading, and actually, what happened is Job became suicidal. He loathed his life, we see in chapter 10. And then, because the pain persisted, he actually gave in, and this demanding spirit overcame him. In chapter 13, Verse 3 says, but I would speak to the Almighty, and I desire to argue my case with God. Verse 18, behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I will be right. Can you see that? You see a guy that over here, when it all started, he's like, naked I came in, naked I will go out. He tells his wife, no, you can't talk like you're foolish. God gives us good and he gives us evil. And he, he was handling it. Yes, he was hurting, but he's handling it. But the longer the pain stuck around, now he's like, I, 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 I am right. And God needs to know that I am right. And he may not fix it, but he should. Because I'm right. a demanding spirit. And what does God do? What does God do with the demanding spirit? Now we're going to look at what I think is one of the most remarkable conversations in all of Scripture, but before we do that, let's recap what's going down here. Okay? Job. Some of the worst, if not the worst possible things have happened to Job. A real Man. Suffering. And here's what you got to understand. Job did not do anything to deserve this. Okay? He didn't. But God allowed them to take place. And Job developed a demanding spirit. And here's what Job thought would happen. I'm going to get my conversation with God and he'll agree with me. Job 23, 4, 7, I would lay my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. I would know what he would answer me and understand what he would say to me. Would he contend with me, the greatness of his power? No, he would pay attention to me. He's talking about God Almighty. There an upright man could argue with him and I would be acquitted for my, forever by my judge. Now Listen. Let's go back to this fine line. Let's go back to this slippery slope. There's a fine line. Listen, when a suffering child laments their pain to a loving father, when a suffering child laments their pain to a high priest who is without question able to empathize with us, I wholeheartedly believe God is touched by those struggles. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Hill City Church, if you're in pain, you run like your hair's on fire to God. It is okay to hurt. It is okay to desire. Run to God. I think he's touched by our struggles. And your thirst for healing go to him. But when that pain, when that sorrow gets twisted into a bitter spirit of demandingness, see, God the Father will go to work on you as his kid. And that's good news. Listen to what he tells Job. Job chapter 38, verse 3. Job demands a conversation with God. Here's what he's going to tell him. God has to listen. He says, and God here's God's answer. Okay. Hey, Job, dress for action like a man. I will question you. I will make it known to me. And you will make it known to me. Listen, it's okay to hurt, it's okay to thirst, but we've got to be careful not to become demanding. Now, before we look at what God says, I want to tell you this. If you have suffered, if you've faced tragedy, if anxiety is real, if depression is real, you're in good company. There are men all over Scripture. I gave you those examples. Job is one of them. You're in good company. Job suffered greatly. And here's what I'll tell you. If you have suffered that and if you've ever developed a demanding spirit or if you've ever developed a spirit of despair, you are in good company. Job did as well. And listen, these are very common pitfalls for us. That's why we're talking about it together today. But we have to look at what God does. I'm not going to give you the whole conversation, but look at this. So Job gets what he wishes for. He gets a conversation. Here's what God does. Hey, Job. Chapter 38, verse 4. Hey, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me. But you're right, Job. You said you were right. Now tell me. Job, who determines its measurements? Surely you know. 38 Verse 12, Job, have you commanded the morning since your days began and caused the dawn to know its place? In other words, because I have, Job. I have. Job, where is the way to the dwelling of the light? There's a hard question for you. Where is that way? How Do you understand that? What, what about, where is the place of darkness, Job? That you may take it to its territory and that you may discern the paths to its home. Chapter 40, verse 2, Job, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him, let him answer it. Verse 40, chapter 8, will you even put me in the wrong? Job, or, is that what you're doing here? Job, you're, you're, you're saying, God, you're, you're telling me I'm wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be Right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like this? Like this is God going to work on the soul of one who has a demanding spirit. And then Job goes from demandingness, but look what he, and and here's what he does. You have to read it for yourselves. Here's what he does. He goes straight from demandingness and slips right into this spirit of despair. Job chapter 40, look at this, verse four and five. Behold, I am of small account, What shall I answer you? I have spoken once, I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. And he shrinks back. And you know what God doesn't do? He doesn't say, That's right, now sit your butt down. Take it. No, 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 no. That's not what a loving God does. See, God challenged Job on his spirit of demandingness in the middle of his depression and anxiety. And then Job slips into despair and God then challenges him on his despair. And he basically says this to Job, paraphrase, Job, listen, I'm not going to let you suffer in demandingness and develop that demandingness. And you know what else, Job? I'm not gonna let you just slip right into this suffering in despair either. And he's like, Job, Look at me, Job. I am God. I will see you through this. Look for me, Job. Look for me in this. You will find me. Job, I'm here. Don't go here to demanding Don't go here to despair. Job, go right here. Look what Job says. I had heard of you. That's what he says about God. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now my eye sees you. Where are you at? Whatever the suffering may be, anxiety, depression, whatever, messed up relationships, could you be like Job? man, Lord, God, I've heard of you. I've been at church every Sunday since I was two. I've heard of you. But now my eyes see you. To be clear, Job's kids never came back to life. And without question, he went to his grave, and they would have been on his heart and mind for the rest of his life. So I'm not sitting here telling you, yeah, once you in your suffering, once you see God, that's what he wants, and then he'll make it all go away. False. Could he? Yes. Does he? Not all the time. And here's a common theme, guys. This is a common theme in churches all across America. And and Dr. Cox talked about it. He called it abracadabra Jesus, right? And we we, we send these messages from pulpits all over the country. If you just come to Jesus, just come to Jesus, he'll make everything right. Live for him. Everything's going to be great. And here's where that gets dangerous. Is we hear that and we conclude that he's going to make everything great right now under the sun. In this life. And that's a false promise. See, we want heaven now. And I get it. We desire the garden. But I'm not going to promise you things under the sun that we only get on the other side of the sun. Too often, Christians And even non-Christians have been promised heaven now. We won't do that. I'm going to read you a quote. It's from Elizabeth Elliot. Just to give you a little bit of background. Elizabeth Elliot, they were missionaries. and And they were missionaries to some violent people. And her husband was murdered by the violent people who they were ministering to. And this is what she says. She says, God is God. I dethrone him in my heart if I demand that he act in ways that satisfy my idea of justice. It is the same spirit that taunted, if thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. There is unbelief. There is even rebellion in the attitude that says God has no right to do this. Doctor Larry Crabb, I referenced this book earlier, he wrote this in Inside Out. He said, A person who concedes that God may not do for him what seems so right is further along in his understanding of God than one who cheerfully expects God to make everything better. It is okay to hurt. And it is okay to thirst. Go to God with those thirst. But listen to me. Your spouse may never love you like you think that he should love you. And run to God with it. Hurt about it. Thirst for it. You may never have a close relationship with your dad. And it's okay to hurt about it. It's okay to thirst for it. And it's okay to ask God to fix it. You may never have biological children. And it hurts. And you can thirst for it. And run to God with it. I know you're like, man. Come on, I, w- I want to be encouraged. Like, i I and and some of the things I'm telling you might even make you angry right now. But I promise you, like, two years from now, three years from now, ten years from now, one day you're gonna be like, he's right. You may never be relieved of depression and anxiety on this side of the sun and it hurts and you can thirst to be relieved and you can go to God and ask him to quench that thirst and he could but he may not and we can't be surprised by this stuff here's why, Jesus, when he came here's what he said In this world, you will have trouble. Now, here's what he didn't do. Hey, in this world, you will have trouble. I'm out. In this world, you will have trouble. But listen to me. I've overcome the world. You haven't overcome the world, Jesus says. I have overcome the world. So the question is this, Hill City, and whatever suffering it is, if it's depression, if it's anxiety, whatever it is, can you get to a point where you say, God, I've heard of you. I've heard of you my whole life. But in this, in this suffering, oh, now I see you.